Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tonight on The Readout. I will direct a completely overhauled DOJ to investigate every radical DA and AG in America for their illegal, racist in reverse enforcement of the law. Racist in reverse. Trump once again vowing to blow up America's institutions if he somehow finds his way back to the Oval Office. As his lawyers fight in court for the right to potentially intimidate witnesses in the lead up to his criminal trials, plural. Plus, we're just minutes away from the polls closing in Ohio in the special election designed to limit democracy and give Republicans minority control over critical issues like abortion. And the brawl on an Alabama dock that launched a thousand memes. Why is this fight resonating so much? And will the folding chair wind up in a museum? But we begin tonight with Donald Trump obliterating norms for his political and personal gain. Norms like rooting for your country on the international stage. Call it patriotism, fandom, however you want to characterize it. We generally root for the home team when American athletes compete abroad. And we are sad with them when they lose. The defeats can be soul-crushing. And a lot of stomachs churned on Sunday when the U.S. soccer team lost to Sweden in the Women's World Cup. It was an agonizing moment for the top-ranked women's soccer team in the world, especially when soccer star Megan Rapinoe missed a crucial penalty kick, contributing to the loss. And then something weird happened. Conservatives relished America's loss, expressing a maniacal glee over there. And by there, I mean our country's World Cup exit. They sent the clear message that it's only America first if Republican trolls like you. So all that argle-bargling about saving women's sports, well, we knew that was a sham, but man, did they make it clear with the way they kicked the women's team. President Biden, meanwhile, did what perfectly normal humans do and what presidents have always done in these instances. He congratulated the team, including with a post on ex-Twitter. You've made your country proud, his post read. I'm looking forward to seeing how you continue to inspire Americans with your grit and determination on and off the field. It's what we're supposed to expect, right? A totally normal, standard, encouraging response from a U.S. leader not named Donald Trump. As for Trump, well, Trump going to Trump, especially when it comes to women. And so he trashed them, cheering the team's defeat, claiming they lost because of wokeness, while somehow blaming Biden for the whole entire thing. Trump and his MAGA coalition specifically piled on Megan Rapinoe, the star athlete who has come to represent for them everything that's wrong with America, making her the latest casualty in the culture wars and the latest example of the ethos of Trumpism. Trump's freak out isn't really about winning or losing or even about soccer or football, as everybody else in the world calls it. It's about blowing up norms, decency, as well as institutions that don't serve him. Donald Trump doesn't believe in anything. 
not least in fair elections. He unleashes the hounds on political opponents for not kissing his ring. And just as he did when he was in the White House, he is continuing to use his seemingly undiminished power over millions of Americans to trash our system of justice. Allow me to explain. If you'll recall, during his arraignment in the January 6th case, the magistrate judge issued a warning saying to Trump, quote, it is a crime to intimidate a witness or retaliate against anyone for, for providing information about your case to the prosecution or otherwise obstruct justice. Do you understand these warnings, sir? Trump nodded yes. Then he swore that he would comply. Roughly 24 hours after Trump exited the courthouse, he turned to his social media platform to issue his own warning. Quote, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Prosecutors are aware of Trump's tactics by now and ask for a protective order ahead of the election trial. They argued that Trump could otherwise improperly disclose confidential evidence. On Monday, Trump's lawyers urged U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, the trial judge overseeing his case, to reject it, saying that it would violate his free speech rights. That whole free speech bit? Well, Trump grumbled about it today. Crooked Joe now wants the thug prosecutor, this deranged guy, to file a court order taking away my First Amendment rights so that I can't speak. So now I have one of these lunatic reporters back there saying, Sir, would like to talk to you about your case. Or, or I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to talk about it. Somehow that's not good for votes. Do you agree? When we say I can't talk, I'd love to, t I will talk about it. I will. They're not taking away my First Amendment rights. imagines everybody calls him sir but just think about it if trump can make menacing threats to the u.s women's soccer team what would he do to some regular schmuck fake elector who dares to testify at his trial or to one of his mar-a-lago employees or his co-defendants if they testify or one of the other employees testifies or or to mike pence it's all just another attempt to take control of this country. He wants the power to publicize people's testimony so he can publicly threaten them. It's a subversion of the justice system, which is exactly what he is being charged with. And because Trump is a cult boss, a gaslighter in chief, everything is twisted, including our traditions, our very foundation, allowing him to convince a third of the country that an attack on him is an attack on them. According to a new CBS poll, CBS YouGov poll, I should say, there are strong party splits over what all of these indictments mean. Democrats see it as upholding the rule of law, while Republicans see it as a political move. 56% of them see it as an attack on people like them. It's exactly what Trump wants them to think as the trial lurches forward. Judge Tanya Chutkin has set a hearing for Friday for the Trump protective order. Donald Trump will not be required to appear in person. Joining me now is Mehdi Hassan, Mehdi Hassan, host of The Mehdi Hassan Show, and Temidayo Aganga-Williams, former senior investigative counsel to the January 6th Select Committee. Thank you both for being here. Mehdi, my friend, I do want to start with you because there is something about the culture Donald Trump has created, at, at least for a third of the country, that says yeah. nothing matters. The rules, the law, elections, rooting for your own country when they're when they're a team is competing abroad. It not, all, all that matters is Trump and what he wants. That is a bizarre kind of cult. But at this point, it's clearly basically a religious cult. 
It is a cult joy. There's no debate about that. You just look at the irrationality. You look at the hypocrisy. I mean, you and I and others will say, oh, hold on, hold on. Donald Trump said today that a sitting president can't ask an AG to indict their opponent. But wait, <laughs> Donald Trump did that in October 2020 when he told Bill Barr to indict Joe Biden. But it doesn't matter. You and I just, that, that's not the world they live in. They don't care. It's not that they don't know or they don't believe you. They don't care. It is a cult. And one thing that always shocks me is not that we have cults. A lot of countries have cults. A lot of communities have cults. It's that the right decided to build a cult around that guy. That's yeah. the guy they chose for their cult of personality. This guy who is more mob boss than political <laughs> leader. I mean, we're talking about intimidating witnesses. I mean, Trump has spent years basically blowing stuff up, to use your phrase, both politically, judicially, financially, in every aspect of his public and personal life. We know, we know how he treats witnesses. We know from the Mueller report, uh, Robert Mueller says in his report that Donald Trump tried to obstruct, intimidate or influence uh, Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen, um, uh, General Michael Flynn, Roger Stone. We know from Marie Yovanovitch, the ambassador to Ukraine during the first impeachment trial. She said, I was very intimidated by all the tweets the sitting president was putting out targeting me. We know he does this. He went to the UN, I think it was, and said about the whistleblower. Well, you know what we used to do in the old days? We used to execute them. So this is who he is. Of course, he's not going to follow any protective order. Of course, he's going to try and bully witnesses, lawyers, jurors. I mean, Joy, we live in a country where the judge in the E. Jean Cowell case earlier this year had to tell the jury, my advice to you is stay anonymous forever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I'm going to come back to that point in a moment. But I just want to read this poll to you all just so that you see it. We put up the bigger sort of larger picture poll when the CBS when CBS News um, asked if the indictments against Trump are trying to stop the Trump campaign. 86% of Republicans said it's trying to stop the Trump campaign. An attack on people like you, 56%. Upholding huh. the rule of law, only 28% said it's upholding the rule of law. Only 26% of Republicans said that it is defending democracy. At this point, Mehdi, he's poisoned the jury pool. All he needs is one of yeah. them on the jury in either of his two trials. That's the goal that his lawyers have set out. They seem to have at least achieved it among a majority of Republicans. They are very good at messaging, Joy. We have to admit that, that his gaslighting and his gish galloping has worked with a third of the population. You know, the idea that it's an attack on people like you, I mean, he's nothing like any of his supporters. <laughs> like we know that he looks down on them. We know that he looks down on them in private. The guy splits his time between a wedding venue in Florida and a golden <laughs> apartment in New York. He's not like any human being you and I have ever met. So the idea that these people, he's standing up for them is just absurd. The only way he's like people is that he has a cheap shower curtain in his, in his golden bathroom in Mar-a-Lago, which I still don't understand. Uh, Temi Dayo, OK, so let me just read a little bit of the special counsel's response to this motion for protective order. They said the defendant's proposed order would lead to the public dissemination of discovery material. Indeed, that is the defendant's stated goal. The defendant seeks to use the discovery material to litigate the case in the media. I think about Let's go to the trial in Florida. Walt Nada still works for him. Mr. D. Oliveira still works there. They are completely dependent on Donald Trump financially. If either of them was to switch and turn state's evidence, he would make mincemeat out of them on his social media. Anyone who testifies, and they don't all have secret service like Mike Pence. What do you make of their, their, their insistence that they need to be able to make people's testimony public? 
Well, I think President Trump's prior actions taking on individuals that can't protect themselves is informative here. I think about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, who were poll workers in the Atlanta area, and how he used his bully pulpit to go to go against them, and they couldn't protect themselves. I think about Cassidy Hutchinson, a witness in front of the select committee, who, while being asked to tell the truth, was being pressured by President Trump's political circle to do uh, the opposite of that. So I think he has a long history of placing pressure on those who do not have the ability to protect themselves, who don't have a bullpit to combat it. So I think the special counsel is highlighting what truly is a real concern here. If they don't get their way in terms of the judge's order, um, what can the prosecutors do to protect these witnesses who won't, I presume, have police protection or anything else? What can they do if they don't get their way with this judge? Well, what I suspect is that this will be an issue that will be revisited probably several times over with the judge, wherever she comes down initially. I think President Trump has shown that he has an inability to follow court orders. And I suspect that wherever she lands now, this would just be the beginning of the conversation with the judge and not the end. Can I just ask you very quickly, Tommy Dio, um, what do you make of the Florida judge? Um, her ruling that she didn't seem to quite understand why there was a second grand jury. I feel like I understand why there was, but is it, does it make you suspicious that she questioned that and has demanded that prosecutors justify it? Uh, I, I, I did find it odd that at this stage <laughs> of the case that she would issue, I think, what can only be described as a pretty aggressive order. And I think it's surprising that she would be shocked that multiple grand juries could be investigating President Trump's whose conduct has been quite wide ranging over numerous jurisdictions. So I, I'm with you on this. I think it's, it's surprising. I'm surprised at her surprise, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, let me uh, come back to you, Mehdi. There is there was a piece today in The Washington Post that I actually found a little very alarming. Uh, it was by a guy from the Hoover Institute who made the argument that because of the timing of these trials and the fact that Trump is likely to be the nominee, it almost is a bad idea for him to be tried for any of these things because it will look like it is President Biden. It's obviously Biden's Justice Department putting him on trial. But it seems to me, you know, I'd love to be able to make that argument. You, you know, you rob a bank and you're like, well, you know, it's too close to a bank holiday. Yeah. You know, what do you make of these attempts by people to sort of rationalize the idea that yeah. putting Trump on trial is bad for the country? I've been saying this for a while, that according to the GOP, if you are a criminal in America today, the best way to get away with your crimes is to run in the Republican presidential primary. Apparently, if you're running for president, you get an immunity card. You get out of jail free card. You don't get to be prosecuted because you're running for president, apparently. It's absolutely ridiculous. If he doesn't, you know, if the Republican Party doesn't want a presidential candidate to be on trial in the midst of election campaign, it's a very simple solution to that. Don't nominate that person as your candidate. That's what would have happened in previous cycles. If Mitt Romney had one trial, trial against him in 2012. The GOP of 2012 would not have nominated him. Trump has six, maybe seven uh, next year. And if they don't want to be tried going into an election campaign, don't do the alleged crimes. I mean, one thing, though, I would give to Trump, and I hate to say this, I'm going to go take a shower after this, Joy. When he says, why did they wait two and a half years to do this? I kind of agree with him and think, Merrick Garland, this is partly on you. We didn't have to wait to have trials in 2024. We could have done this earlier. 
It's not Sunday, but you can get an amen because this has been my problem all along. It is the calendar created by the dividends and slow walking by the Justice Department. They should have done this closer to the time of the crime and wrapped him and his people up right away. It took them a year to prosecute some of the people who barged into the Capitol. Why did that take so long? They slow walked it, and now we have to live with the consequences. It's bizarre. I'll just put it that way. But at least it's happening. We're glad it's happening. Many Hassan, <laughs> Demidayo, Aganga, Williams, thank you both. Up next on The Readout, turning our attention to Ohio, where polls will be closing in just a few minutes on a referendum aimed at derailing abortion rights protections in the state by attacking the very idea of majority rule. We will bring you the latest when The Readout continues. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgartigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenics. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. We spend plenty of time talking about how the former president sought to suffocate democracy by attempting to overturn the results of the 2020 election. But he isn't the only Republican doing that kind of thing. It's now the standard operating practice for the modern Republican Party. In just a few minutes, polls are set to close in Ohio, where Republicans were looking to convince voters that they should willingly limit their own power. A proposal on today's ballot called State Issue 1 would make it harder for citizen-backed initiatives to amend the state constitution. In basic terms, the issue would raise the threshold for passing future changes from a simple majority to 60 percent. It would also change the formula for collecting signatures for a ballot initiative. Currently, initiatives need signatures from half of Ohio's 88 counties, but issue one would require signatures from all counties. If passed, it would reverse 111 years of direct democracy that has the potential to affect any future citizen-led ballot efforts. Just let that sink in for a second. Reverse 111 years of direct democracy. David DeWitt of the Ohio Capital Journal points out that Ohio Republicans have given up trying to persuade voters or to make convincing arguments. They would rather just attempt to rig the game, but they might not get away with it. Nearly 700,000 ballots were cast in the early voting period. That is more than double the early vote during primary elections in 2018 and 2022. 
Yeah, I just don't think that this should be on the ballot in the first place. I think it's a little bit uh, sneaky. Uh, I'm not very happy with how they are portraying it, trying to kind of wash it over something specific when really it's just taking rights away from, you know, Ohioans. I, I think people are pretty engaged. I think this is an important issue. I think it's something that we need to follow through um, with and and more than just the, the behind the scenes issues. I think the important part is what we believe is a majority. So far, women make up 56 percent of that massive turnout. Cleveland.com is reporting that Republicans felt like they could eke out a close win by boosting same-day voting. Now, mind you, if Republicans had tried this a long time ago, only white men would be able to enlist in the Ohio National Guard. Ohio's governor wouldn't have term limits, and Ohioans would only have the option of straight-ticket voting at the polls. All of those things were changed in the state constitution by votes of 50-plus percent. Joining me now is Melissa Murray, NYU law professor and MSNBC legal analyst, and David DeWitt, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Capital Journal. Mr. DeWitt, I am in possession here of your uh, excellent, uh, very passionate op-ed about all of this. I want to let you say more. I quoted a little bit from you earlier, but please say more about why you think this initiative and voting on it is so important in your state. Right. Well, this is, as you've mentioned, a historic election in Ohio. We haven't seen an attack like this ever in our history as far as voter constitutional power. Every other time we've changed it, it's expanded the power. And this is the first time we've seen them try to rip away Ohio constitutional voter power. So the election is historic in that regard, but also it's a blatant power grab by lawmakers and lobbyists who want to rig the game. They want to rig it against voters. They don't want to be held accountable there. Uh, we've seen rampant corruption, a one point three billion dollar bribery scandal that led to a 20 year federal prison conviction for the former House Speaker, five years for the former head of the Republican Party. Last year, they gerrymandered Ohio, ignored seven bipartisan Ohio Supreme Court rulings to force Ohio to, Ohioans to vote in rigged congressional districts. And now they see polls showing that 58, 59 percent of Ohioans support putting abortion rights in the Constitution, and they want to rig that game, too. So we see rampant corruption. We see rampant arrogance. And we see them wanting to rig the game and strip voters of power that we've had, as you noted, for 111 years. You know, and Melissa Murray, you know, uh, David DeWitt described it as an attempt to impose minority rule. But that's like the case all over the country. Even in Kansas, the majority of even Republicans favor not having doctors go to prison or even women go to prison for a medical procedure that's their own private business. This isn't even close. There's new CNN polling push for more restrictions on abortion nationwide, 34 percent. Leave decisions to the state, 66 percent. Americans as a whole, 64 percent say the decision in overturning Roe versus Wade has had a negative effect. Uh, 54 percent say it's negatively affected women in their own states. I could go on. The polling is very clear. It's about two-thirds of Americans, regardless of party, who do not want this. What do you make of the legal shenanigans that Republicans are trying in Ohio and in other states to try to force abortion bans on women? Well, Joy, I think it's really important to understand here, and David made the point, I think, really well, that 
this isn't just about abortion rights. Abortion rights are symptomatic of this. This is an all-out assault on democracy. We saw last year in the Dobbs decision, Justice Alito said that he was simply returning the issue of abortion to the states for democratic deliberation, but it took real cheek for him to write that since the Supreme Court of the United States has done more than any institution in this country to completely distort the landscape of democracy in our country by blessing partisan gerrymandering, by allowing the Voting Rights Act to be hobbled so that suppressive voter laws can be passed throughout this country. The Supreme Court has actively made this a less democratic country. And now they've returned abortion to the states that have less representative governments. And so we're seeing now that Ohio and other red states want to channel abortion rights into their state legislatures because they know that those institutions are so gerrymandered that the people's will cannot truly be expressed there. And the people are responding by seeking succor in representative or direct democracy where they can directly reflect their own preferences. And now we're seeing that being stopped or thwarted. And it's not just Ohio. Mississippi just reinstated its voter initiative process with one important caveat. They will not allow voter initiatives to be used for the purpose of securing reproductive rights. That's the proposal that's on the table right now in Mississippi. So this is throughout the country and it's an assault on democracy. Yeah, it definitely feels like Gilead vibes. Um, let's play one of the state representatives. And there have been some Republicans expressing a bit of uh, anxiety about all of this. This gentleman's name is State Representative Jamie Callender, Republican. I'm afraid this was rushed a little bit um, because we had to make a certain deadline to be able to, to get it done. Uh, and I think uh, it could have borne a little more debate. Um, and I, I'm not sure if I would have voted to put it on the on the ballot if it wasn't in that rushed format, if it wasn't a special election, uh, if it didn't seem pretty hypocritical based on what we'd done just a few months ago by eliminating August special elections. David Witt, have you seen any or experienced any second thoughts among some Republicans in the state? I well, we had we did have five Republicans vote against bringing this proposal to the August ballot, but that's uh, five out of sixty-seven Ohio House representatives. So sixty-two supported it, five voted against it, and then the entire Ohio Senate voted against it. I think that uh, Rep- Representative Calendar, he was definitely one of the ones who voted against bringing this to the cal- uh, to the voters in August, and. I think I've seen some hesitation from some Republicans, but they're not speaking out very much. They're just kind of letting this happen. I'm probably concerned about getting primaried. Um, I, I wish I had time to play it, but I don't. Um, there was really wrenching testimony, Melissa, from the women in Texas who sued, talking about nearly dying um, and being left infertile. Why do you think that those arguments have no effect on people like Samuel Alito and on Republicans in states like Ohio and Mississippi? I mean, Samuel Alito is going to Samuel Alito joy. Um, those kinds of cases are going to have important effects in places like Texas. Now in Texas, after the Zorowski litigation, doctors know that they can prescribe abortion and can instruct an abortion in circumstances that are truly exigent without having to deal with the law and trying to figure out what that actually means. And that's really important for women in Texas. But it really, again, needs to be underscored here. This idea that individuals cannot register their preferences is a really important one. Um, we are ba- we are a democracy. We're supposed to have a voice here. And these are efforts to frustrate the popular will. And, and to be very clear, it's short-sighted on the part of conservatives. Um, for the most part, these direct democracy initiatives have been used to advance 
advance conservative causes like Proposition 8 in California a few years mm-hmm. ago. It's only now that they're being used for abortion rights that they're falling under fire. And Ohio is a perfect example of a brazen attempt to thwart the will of the people. Well, we will find out very soon uh, how the people of Ohio decided uh, to go forward in terms of their own power and their own rights. Melissa Murray and David DeWitt, thank you both. Um, If there's any news on tonight's referendum results, we'll bring it right to you. Um, But still ahead, the brawl that made folding chairs legendary and inspired more folks to learn how to swim. How a dockside altercation in Alabama became a viral sensation and what's being done in pursuit of justice. Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed and the Griot's Michael Harriet join me next. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. If you've been on the interwebs in at all in the last couple of days, there is a good chance that you've seen what has become the most viral video of the week, if not the whole year. And that is the Alabama dock brawl. But in case you missed it, here's how it all went down. It started on Saturday on the Montgomery Riverfront Dock, where they have restaurants and leisure activities and where boats, large and small, private and city-owned, can pull up. A Black Riverboat co-captain asked a group of white boaters to move their illegally parked pontoon so the Harriet II Riverboat could dock. The Harriet II part is quite poetic, because before this was all one big leisure spot, the Montgomery Riverboat was a major, massive slave port, which is going to feel ironic in a second. The pontoon group refused, and the argument turned violent when one of the white pontooners charged and swung at the black employee, who proceeded to throw his hat in the air, Bobby Schmurter style, and fight back. He was quickly outnumbered, and the group of white shirtless boaters all started piling on him. Well, it wasn't long before black onlookers came rushing to the co-captain's defense from seemingly everywhere, like he'd thrown up a bat signal to the ancestors, maybe Harriet Tubman herself. One teenage member of the Wakanda Avengers even jumped off the Harriet II and swam to the dock to join in, earning him endless nicknames online, including Michael B. Phelps and Aquaman. It was then that an all-out brawl ensued. Video shows men and women punching, shoving, kicking. One uncle even grabbed a folding chair to hit back, while spectators cheered them on from the sidelines until the police came to break it up. Today, we learned that three of those white men who attacked the Riverboat co-captain are facing misdemeanor assault charges. And the story has taken on a life of its own. Memes surrounding the Montgomery mayhem have taken over social media. Folding lawn chairs have been dubbed freedom chairs, hat tip Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Folks are writing songs and odes to the day a group of Alabama bullies on a boat tried it in a small town. Some are even creating their own dramatic reenactments at their local pool. Not to mention there's a hashtag trending called... 
lift every chair, and swing. Joining me now is the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama, Stephen Reed, and Michael Harriet, columnist for The Grio, host of The Grio Daily Podcast and author of Black AF History. Thank you both for being here. Mr. Mayor, I do want to start with you. Give us an update, please, on the arrests um, and whether all of those who are going to be charged have turned themselves in. First, Joy, thanks for having me. Uh, really appreciate it. Really appreciate all the work that you and your staff do each and every day. Uh, big fan and follow both you and Michael. Um, you. you know, so far in, in, in this, uh, we've had one person that is in the custody of law enforcement, uh, two others who are not at this time. Um, they've not been cooperative, and so we will have to take uh, probably some extra measures to, to deal with them. Uh, but that's where we are right now. The investigation is still ongoing as we try to sort out fact from fiction and try to go through the process uh, that's led us to uh, bring about third degree uh, assault charges on these uh, perpetrators and what may be more charges still to come. And let's just uh, sort of be clear. I mean, let's talk about the atmosphere in Montgomery in the 24 hours before. Donald Trump did a Trump rally, did a rally in Montgomery about 24 hours before this. What was kind of the atmosphere in the city after he was gone? Because we know statistically hate crimes, violence tend to go up when Trump comes to town. Yeah, you know, I I, I don't think that uh, having the former president uh, here uh, helped anything as it relates to his rhetoric. Uh, and the actions that, that he has taken. I, I don't think that helps uh, discourse. I don't think it helps uh, the environment overall when you consider what's happening in Alabama this time uh, with our state legislature uh, rejecting the Supreme Court's uh, order to draw a second congressional district. There, there's a lot of tension uh, in the air right now uh, politically. And I don't think uh, having uh, President, former President Trump here helped anything. And I think some people can get a little too caught up uh, and what they see uh, online. I think some people can get caught up in terms of what they're reading, what they're hearing from, uh, you know, their friends and their immediate circle and may take things uh, a different way uh, than maybe others would. And one more question is, these are misdemeanor assault charges that these men are facing. What about hate crime charges? I mean, these were what, multiple six, seven white men who jumped one black man who was just doing his job. Yeah, based on the information that, that we have as of now uh, from the FBI, it, it does not meet uh, their criteria. But we're working very closely with the FBI. We have asked uh, witnesses to uh, again provide us with more information and testimony as well. So, you know, this is fluid and, and things can, can change. Uh, but as of now, we, we don't have enough evidence to move forward with that sure. uh, in our conversations with, with the FBI. But again, we're going to continue to uh, work very closely with law enforcement. We're going to be very intense uh, in our approach to this. We, we realize the magnitude of, of what took place. And yeah. I saw what uh, you all saw and, and what uh, millions of other people saw. And, and that's uh, disturbing. Uh, Michael Harriet, why do you think this has resonated the way it has? Well, you know, we saw this on the same Internet that we saw, you know, the Karen trend. We saw white people, you know, call the police on bird watchers and fishers. And so I think the joy comes from it was a rare example and an explicit example of justice. Right. Like people, you know, getting what they were looking for, you know, finding out after they messed around. And so I think that was part of it. And I think, you know, we're in a country where we consume news about, you know, history being erased and, you know, are the people in Alabama going to be able to be represented in Congress? 
And all of that creates that kind of Trump was there the day before. Right. And so when you think about all of that and what we consume on a platform, you know, this went viral on Twitter, a platform that we know that hate speech has gone up since the purchaser purchased it. Right. All of that contributes to the joy that, you know, in America, black people seeing a, a real example of justice is rare, right? It's like Jesus turning water in the crown royal or, you know, so we celebrated those rare instances. And I think there was a little bit of joy in that. You know, you you uh, did a great piece that I highly recommend on the Grio interviewing the ancestors, including Harriet Tubman, who I know jumped out that water with that 16 year old heroic boy who came to the rescue. But, you know, I feel like the other piece of this has been the incredible expression of black creativity, black Twitter was in its finest hour. <laughs> and the creativity that you've seen across platforms, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram, the memes, Michael, these are historic. And so is that folding chair. Yeah, like I, I think we should uh, like I, I really think we don't have an August holiday. So how about, <laughs> you know, Thanksgiving? Right. I think, you know, the the, the brawl, you know, uh, the brawl in Alabama, this is, should be Black People's Labor Day. I really feel like that. And we should just gather and have like a new freak Nick on the shore <laughs> in Bur- and, in Montgomery. And like I went to, I've lived most of my uh, adult life like uh, near uh Montgomery, or you know, I went to college in Auburn and lived in in Birmingham. So I think like this should be our new June. It's like we should have August teeth <laughs> right there in, in Montgomery. Uh, Mr. Mayor, can we have and everybody bring their own buildings? Uh, well, you spell your last name different from mine, but we might be cousins since you're a Reed. So can we do it? You may have to ask our folks in the Alabama legislature to see if we can get that done. See what they think. Come on, cousin Reed. Let's do this. Let's do this. We we'll, we'll work on our last name spelling. But you, we're, we're, we're cousins by, you know, we family. Uh, That's right. Ale- Mon- Montgomery, Alabama Mayor Stephen Reed, R E E D, and Michael Harriet of the Grio. Uh, thank you both. Much appreciated. And coming up, Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones, expelled from the legislature for protesting gun violence, has won back his seat. Now he's seeking full reinstatement, including his committee assignments. And he joins me next. Be right back. They call the race. Uh, the people have won today. Yes. My colleagues, my Republican colleagues, Speaker Cameron Sexton, are in the find out portion. Yes. Yes. They messed around, now they gotta find out. Yes. Uh, today's election is a reminder that their attacks on democracy will not happen unchallenged. Yes. The people of District 52 have sent an overwhelming message, a mandate to my Republican colleagues that we're gonna stand up and fight back. That was state, Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones, who, along with his colleague, Justin J. Pearson, won back his seat in a special election on Thursday. Jones and Pearson were expelled in April after leading gun reform chants on the floor of the state house days after a shooter murdered six people, including children, at a Nashville area school. Their white colleague leading the chants with them, Gloria Johnson, was not expelled. Johnson and Jones were both stripped of their committees. Pearson didn't have any at the time. But unlike Jones, Gloria Johnson got hers back a few days later. Now that he's won back his seat, Jones is asking for his committee assignments back ahead of a special session starting in two weeks that will address gun control. 
former Attorney General Eric Holder is representing Jones and wrote this to Tennessee's Republican House Speaker, quote, it is critical that the representative, that Representative Jones, whose voice and leadership on issues of school safety and gun, gun control have been recognized throughout Tennessee and the nation, participate in his committees in this important debate. State Representative Justin Jones joins me now. Um, Representative Jones, so let's just update ourselves as of tonight. The letter that uh, Eric Holder wrote on your behalf gave a deadline of Friday for the speaker to respond. Have you gotten any response from the speaker's office so far? Hi, Joy. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, we have not gotten a response from the speaker. Uh, the speaker continues to delay and deflect um, from obeying the will of 77 percent of my district, a, a, a clear mandate of, of response to what happened to our expulsion. But we know that whether it's the, you know, Montgomery waterfront or the legislature of Tennessee, we are in the find out portion of our movement. And so um, we have sent this letter informing him that I intend um, to serve on my committees, that, um, to be a full rep representative for my district who represented me to speak um, with their mandate for common sense gun laws in the upcoming special session on the August 21st. And when you were expelled and your committees were taken, what was the criteria? We have the letter that was sent to you, kicking you off your committees. What was the criteria for you being restored to your committees at that time? There was no criteria. The, the governor, um, excuse me, the speaker, Cameron Sexton, operates like he is a king. He took me off my committees with all that said was you're removed from your committees, gave no reason, gave no type of process to, to redress this grievance, um, to, to repair it. And so we don't know what the process is. We, we have people like Cameron Sexton, um, these, these wannabe dictators um, who, who just believe that they don't have any type of um, system or, or accountability that they, that they should operate by. And so um, we don't know. This is very unprecedented. And so we hope that he'll respond by the deadline given. Otherwise, we'll continue um, to press in other ways, you know, looking at the courts and looking at other means of redress. Now, we realize that the three of you were all, you know, uh, involved in this protest, but it definitely feels like Speaker Sexton has a very personal vitriol toward you. It, it, am I reading that correctly? That, that I mean, there was a lot of money spent to try to not let you uh, win your seat back. It does feel like a lot of this is you directed. Do you perceive it that way? Well, in this race, I, I was the only one with a Republican opponent. And so most of my Republican colleagues gave max contributions. And they sent out a mailer calling me a lawbreaker uh, with a picture of me being arrested um, for protesting racial injustice. Um, they, they um, you know, wrote op-eds. They targeted me. The Fraternal Order of Police came out against me. But we know that people power won. What they're really afraid of is that, you know, I, I come from organizing for over a decade. I've been at the Capitol as a part of a multiracial, multigenerational movement trying to change our state. And they're afraid of that. But they're on no Notice now that, you know, Republicans, anytime they don't get their way, they retaliate. We see what, what Sexton's doing. We see what Trump's doing. We see this, this very weak fragility of white supremacy. Um, but what they don't know is that we also stand in the legacy of liberation, that we're going to resist them, that we're going to speak truth to power. And we're moving from this idea of, of the audacity to hope for the hope for some audacity. We're going to be bold and clear in pushing against these extremists um, and, you know, standing clear like we saw the folks did in, in Montgomery. So what do you want to see happen at this special session about gun reform? in two weeks. This special session 
we hope that the voices of Tennesseans uh, will be heard. Over 70% of Tennesseans, Republicans, Democrats, Independents are calling for universal background checks, safe storage, a ban on high-capacity magazines and assault weapons. So we're hoping that you know the governor um, will will have some courage. He released his proclamation today. It was very weak, but but he needs to stand and and, and keep his promise to covenant families that we're gonna, we're going to pass laws that protect kids and not guns. That we're not going to put our children's lives for sale to the NRA and the Tennessee Farms Association. So we hope that Speaker Sexton will not obstruct democracy once again, but that he'll, he'll listen to the people and allow the process of democracy to play out and not try to intimidate his members um, from, from voting on common sense gun laws. And I hope that my Republican colleagues will act because their cowardice is killing us. It's killing our children. It's making us live in, in, this, in this war zone um, in our communities. And so I hope that they have courage to act, not just in, for this generation, but for the generations who are looking to us to lead in this moment. Briefly, what will happen if you do not get a response by Friday? Then there will be a, a next step. And, and, you know, we will look at redress through other means, whether that is, you know, legal means through the courts, whether that is, is going to these committees and enforcing a response as to why can I not speak as an equal member in this body? I was elected just like every other member. In fact, I was elected twice already, even though I've only served for less than a year. And so we hope that um, the speaker will do his job and, and, and restore my committees, because it's not about me, but it's about the people of my district who send a clear message that they want the voice of our district heard and that the speaker does not speak for us. And so I hope to serve. Um, as an equal member. Uh, I, I would love to have you back, Representative Jones. I want to talk more about at some point what is happening to Nashville in this attempt to take it over, which we know was a part of the story as well. But we'll have to save that for another time. Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Joy. And we'll be right back. Before we go, be sure to check out our new series, Hip Hop is Universal, on the Readout blog, where we're sharing blogs, podcasts, and videos celebrating the genre's 50th anniversary. Tonight, Jahan Jones looks at the top hip-hop bars about Obama and Trump from artists like Jay-Z, Kendrick Lamar, Mac Miller, and A Tribe Called Quest. Obama and Trump have both been cited heavily in songs over the years in ways that might surprise you. Head to msnbc.com backslash hip-hop50 for the latest. And that is tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.